Psalm 100. Let us hear the word of the Lord. A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and believe it. Let us pray together. Dear Father, we praise you, O Lord, for your revealed word. We thank you, Father, that you have communicated to us, you have condescended to us in your word so that we may understand, have a small glimpse of who, of who you are, and that we may understand with our finite minds what your plan is for our lives. We praise you, O Lord, for the glorious plan of redemption, and we thank you, Lord, for how how you have communicated your truth through your word. So we pray, Father, as you have inspired this word through the Holy Spirit and through men that you have chosen to write these words, to keep them for us. We pray, Father, that you bless us, Lord, with your spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand, to embrace it, to believe it, Lord, and to keep it in our hearts and to put it into practice, Lord. And so we pray, Father, that you Bless us this day and that you may be glorified in the preaching of your word, that you may help me to be faithful in the delivery of the word to your people. And so we pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen. Dear loved ones, as we come to uh, Psalm 100, Psalm 100 is a familiar psalm because of uh, different reasons. Um, It is a psalm, as the psalmist tells us, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. It is a psalm of uh, gratitude to God, but it's also a part of a collection of psalms, uh, part of the group of psalms that begin in Psalm uh, 91 all the way to 100, called the Theocratic Psalms. It's a cluster of psalms that speak of the, the king, the God who is king, and end in Psalm 100 with the great uh, celebration of this great king that is enthroned and who reigns and rules with all power, glory, and authority. But sadly, we live in a day and age, dear loved ones, of individualism. We live in a day and age where the individual is the the one that is important. And so uh, the individual experience is what is uh, highlighted in in our day. We hear that we live in the age of the iPhone, of the iPad, of the uh, uh, MySpace uh, as you go into the uh, cyber world. And so everything speaks of the individual rather than the collective. And in church, uh, that is no different. In the church, uh, sadly, the, the world has made it inroads, and we speak in a way that is similar to the way the, of the world. Individualism also has come into the church. We uh, hear people speaking, and sometimes even we have used these words. We speak of uh, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my personal quiet time, 
This is my interpretation. In, uh, year, in the uh, most recent years, we have seen a proliferation of uh, private book studies. The rise of celebrity preachers, where individuals choose who is their favorite preacher or pastor. You can live stream individually from your home uh, sermons and services from the comfort of your couch. And many, many Christians also even claim that they have their own individual private ministry. And all, all these things are some of the things that you have heard are not bad in and of themselves. But they come at the expense of the, the neglect and the degradation of the collective of corporate worship. And the good news is that the Lord has saved us all individually by the work of Christ applied through the power of the Spirit in our lives. But he, holds, he also has placed us in the church so that we may worship Him collectively as a community of believers. And that's, why, that's what is expressed in corporate worship, in public worship. And so in Christ, as the Lord tells us through Peter, we are God's special people who have been delivered out of darkness to proclaim His praises. And so we praise Him, we worship Him, recognizing and giving and expressing to God His supreme glory, acknowledging Him to be the only Creator and Savior revealed in the Scriptures. And so worship, as, as you see, is the privilege that we have as believers to express gratitude for our salvation. And worship is also what we were made for. We live to worship God. We were created to worship Him. And so this, this Psalm, Psalm 100, is a beautiful call to worship God. And we as believers, we get to worship the Lord every Lord's day. This is the reason why we set apart one day in the week exclusively to worship the Lord and to set our minds on the things from above and to set aside all the things from below. So worship is beautiful, dear loved ones, as it is a foretaste of heaven. It's what we'll be doing for all eternity. So what we do now has implications for eternity. And we are familiar with Psalm 100, as we have often used this psalm to sing in the congregation of the godly. And so this morning, with the Lord's help, we'll consider five things from this uh, short uh, but powerful psalm. First, we'll consider the Lord calls all men to worship Him. The Lord calls all men to worship Him. Then, secondly, the Lord creates all men to be worshipers. Thirdly, the Lord saves us to render worship to Him. Fourthly, the Lord teaches us how to worship Him. And finally, we will see that the Lord reminds us why we are to worship God. So first, let us consider, dear loved ones, that the Lord calls all men to worship Him. Notice verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. If you notice, this is uh, a resemblance of what we read in the call to worship in Psalm 95. The Lord summons all the earth, all the individuals that exist, past, present, and future, to worship His holy name. He calls all peoples of the land to raise their voices, shouting to the Lord. And notice that this is a command. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. 
This is not simply an invitation or a suggestion. This is a command to worship the triumphant celebration of the victory of the king who lives forevermore. This king, you can almost uh, hear the sound of the words uh, of the people of God saying together, long live the king. And so this is a command that bears the authority of God himself. This is not a, a man-made command or man-centered command, but this is a divine command to God's people and to all the peoples of the earth. And notice that the Lord uses here in this command his covenant God, his covenant name, the name of God in capital letters. Make a joyful shout to the Lord in capital letters to remind us of that he is the covenant-keeping God. He is holy. He never changes. And he will use the name throughout the psalm, as you will notice. And you can think of the authority, as we read here, of a king. In our day and age, sadly, we are not really uh, uh, able to understand uh, completely what the psalmist is communicating here in these words, in this command. Because we don't live in a monarchy. We are not under a king, even though we are under a ruler in our day and age. We don't have a king that rules over us. So we don't understand the power, the authority that the monarch, the king, has over the people. And when the king calls his people, he extends a command You have no choice regardless of what your attitude is or what your desire to obey that call is. When you have a king that rules over you and gives you a command, you have no choice but to obey that command. And so as the Lord extends this command and calls people to joyfully shout to the Lord, you must answer his call. You must answer this command. And this is why we have a call to worship every Lord's Day. Every, every Lord's Day we open with a call to worship. Because this is the Lord calling his people, summoning his people as the king of the earth and also as the king of the church. But notice also the kind of response that is expected here in verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. This doesn't sound very Presbyterian, right? Make a joyful shout to the Lord. We are called to worship the Lord joyfully and with great voices, with, a, with, with a, the, the, the power that the Lord has given to our lungs to express what He uh, deserves to receive from our mouths. The Lord expects for all of us to engage in worship. Notice here, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. There's something that is communicated here. And it's that we are not just mere spectators. But we are participants in the worship of our God. We're called here to respond to this command. And we must respond with the right attitude. Joyfully. As his people. Why? Because in his presence, the Lord tells us there is fullness of Joy. If you remember Psalm uh, 16, that's what the, the psalmist reminds us of. You see, our, in, in our day, uh, worship is not so much about participating. Worship in our day is by proxy. 
Most people go to a place where they are mere spectators. They're hoping to see somebody else worshiping for them. They hope to have fun, to be entertained, at least to be uh, uh, delighted by what they see. But the psalmist here tells us right off the bat that we are coming to be participants. That we come with, we must come with a heart prepared for the occasion. This is a glorious and supreme occasion that we have every Lord's Day. Most of the time we don't think in those terms, sadly, right? When we come uh, on the Lord's Day to worship the Lord, that this is a glorious occasion where we come to meet with the Lord, that we, we are by faith in the Holy of Holies. That we have complete access through Jesus Christ. We don't have this awareness that we are in the presence of the Lord. But notice that we are commanded to come to worship the Lord with the right attitude. And this is something that a lot of times is overlooked. How many times you come to worship the Lord, not joyfully, but with the wrong attitude, with the wrong heart, with the wrong disposition. You and I need to remember that here is the Lord who calls us to worship him. And we are coming to worship the Lord with joy. Why? Because we have the indwelling, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that produces joy. If you remember, uh, the gifts and the, and the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Because of what the Lord has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so this must produce gratitude and joy in our hearts. So it's, the, it's a response that is fitting to God, isn't it? To come before his presence with joy, with shouts of thanksgiving. Because he's a great God and he has done great things. You can picture this uh, little kid in your mind. Uh, all of us have been little at some point, And we have... We have had some uh, uh, people in our lives that, were, uh, uh, that we followed, perhaps, as we talk in our day and age of uh, social media as followers. We follow sometimes uh, some sportsman or some uh, popular artist, uh, singer or musician or uh, some politician even. And uh, at some point, perhaps you met somebody that was popular and that caught your attention and you were uh, amazed by the fact that you were... Uh, having the, uh, that great experience of meeting somebody in person. Uh, I, I had that experience growing up. Uh, I met uh, a couple of uh, soccer players. I, I was really into soccer. And uh, leaving my school, I met on the street uh, um, a couple of uh, soccer players that were very popular in the moment. And I was able to get their autograph. I uh, didn't have a, a cell phone at the time. Uh, cell phones were not around. Uh, and uh, I didn't have a camera to get a picture. But uh, I had a piece of paper and they signed their names. And I was, I was so excited about it that I was telling everyone that I knew about what had happened. That I met these two guys that were on the street. And they were famous and they had signed a piece of paper for me. And you get excited about it. There's joy. There's, there's, a, there's an excitement of uh, meeting somebody that you know, that you have seen on TV, or that you have heard on the radio, or, uh, uh, or, or that you have seen in the movies. 
and all of a sudden you come face to face with that person. There's an excitement about it. There's, there's a, a special uh, kind of a response on your part. But how come we, we don't have the same kind of response when we come and meet with God in His very presence? We have, we have this kind of response for uh, normal human beings, common people. We get excited about them. But on Mondays, how many times do you tell people, I'm so excited to tell you that I met with God on Sunday. I was in the presence of the Lord. How many times do you communicate that to your, to your co-workers, to, to your boss, or to your neighbors, or to your friends or family members? I bet we normally don't do that, right? Why not? We are in the presence of God here. We are meeting with God through Jesus Christ. It is a glorious experience. But notice here that we are not only called to worship the Lord, but the Lord creates all men to worship Him. Notice here in verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. See that there's, first we see a, a universal scope in this call to worship. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, all the earth. So this, this call to worship is a public call to worship. It's not only for the Christian, but it's also for unbelievers, for everyone, for all the inhabitants of the lands. It goes to the whole world. To all the earth, you may think, well, uh, I thought that this call to worship and worship was only for the Christians. In a sense, that is true. The only acceptable worship is through Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, the Lord calls all men to come and worship him. All men need to worship the Lord. And believers and believers alike. Because the unbeliever will be held accountable before the Lord for his response to this call to worship, for this command that the Lord is extending to all the lands, to all the peoples. And they will be held accountable whether they answer or not answer the call to the Lord. They are, as Paul tells us, they are without excuse. And that's why Paul tells us also that the free offer of the gospel goes to all the lands also. The Great Commission is to bring the gospel to all the nations without discrimination. That's why the Lord calls all men everywhere to repent and to turn to Christ in faith. Notice in verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. You see, worship begins here with the mind. You notice that in verse 3? No. The first word, know that the Lord, He is God. Worship begins with the mind, with what you know, not with what you feel. It begins with what you know, because we cannot worship God in ignorance. When people worship God in ignorance, they end up worshiping themselves. It is idolatry before the Lord. Ignorant worship is an expression of man's sinful desires. 
And what sinful men want is to deify their idolatry, the idolatry that is in their hearts. That is what you see in all the false uh, pagan religions in the world. That is the reason why when Paul visited the city of Athens, if you remember that event in Acts 17, he visited there and he found that they were very religious, very religious people. And they have all kinds of idols and statues uh, representing all the different gods and different uh, things that, and desires that they had were represented there in Athens. But he tells them, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, you see, without knowing, I proclaim to you. Dear loved ones, by nature, we are all idolaters. Men from the beginning, from the fall, are worshiping idols from the day of their birth. And you may think, well, I don't have uh, statues in my house of uh, Virgin Mary or, uh, or any saint or, or Buddha. I don't have a shrine in, in the backyard. But let me tell you that the heart, as someone said, is a factory of idols. And you are producing idols every day. People are not neutral. You either worship the Lord, your God, the maker of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ, or you worship someone and something else. So the question here is, what do you worship? Or who do you worship? Some people worship work. Other people worship families. Other worship their possessions. Other worship other people, their careers, their, uh, their houses, cars, uh, relationships. And the list is incredibly long. We can make a, a very extensive list of uh, items that people can and do worship. But you don't have to have all this in the list to be an idolater. Even if you have one of these, you already have transgressed the first commandment where the Lord tells us, you, have, you shall have no other gods before me. So we must know the God of creation, and we must worship him for who he is. Notice in verse 3 that uh, the psalmist tells us, know that the Lord, he is God. First, the Lord, in the covenant God, he is God. What does it mean, God? Is, is he repeating himself? Well, no, he's the covenant God, but he is God, Elohim. He's the creator of all things, the creator of heaven and earth. And by being the creator, the maker of all things, that should be a sufficient reason to worship the Lord when he calls you to worship him. And that's a sufficient reason for the Lord to call all men to come and to gather to worship him. Because he, is a, he alone is God. See, the Lord is God. He's the great I am. He's the one who has revealed himself in his word and also in the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you may know that he is the only true and living God. 
that he is the designer and the author of all the things that exist. And therefore, he deserves your worship. And notice what it says in in, uh, verse 3. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. This sometimes can be uh, understood as something that is so obvious that there's no need for the Lord to tell us or to remind us again of this fact. But he tells us, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. The Lord tells us that he's the one who formed us. He's the one who made us. Why is he telling us this? He's encouraging us and helping us and also moving us, motivating us. Moving our hearts to worship. How? How is he doing that? Well, by steering in us a humble spirit. And also a spirit of gratitude in our worship to him. If you know that the Lord, he is God. That he is not only a God out there, but he is the God, your God, the one who made you personally. He has brought you to salvation in Jesus Christ, that should humble us, that should also produce gratitude in our lives. And this is a consequence in our lives. Just imagine how a grumbling attitude, a discontented heart, a complaining spirit only show a heart of ingratitude before the Lord. And an ungrateful heart does not befit the presence of God, isn't it? We were made by him and for him to know him and to worship him. This is what Paul expresses in Romans chapter 11, where where he tells us, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. This is what is described also in the uh, first question and answer of the shorter catechism. What is the main purpose of our creation? Why we were created? What is, a, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So worship is in the very fabric of our creation. And so the question that remains to be answered is, how can we know Him? How can we know this Lord, this God, this Creator? Because many people claim to know God. But it doesn't matter really what people say. You may ask many people on the streets who have no clue about their status before the Lord, the state of their salvation or their condemnation. But they may say, yeah, I believe in God. I know God. But that's not the question. The question is, does God know you, as somebody put it? Does the Lord know you? Are you known by God? Thirdly, notice that the Lord not only calls us uh, to, um, calls all men to worship him and also um, creates us to be worshipers, to worship his holy name. But thirdly, notice that the Lord saves us to render worship to him. Notice in verse 3 and right at the end of verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This is a wonderful statement that looks at the history of the gospel, the history of redemption. 
Notice that the Lord is not only the God of creation, but here he reminds us that he is also the God of recreation. He's the God of salvation. He's a redeemer. He's the one who has made us, but also who has remade us in Christ Jesus to worship him, to praise the glory of his grace, so that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And notice here, the question is, how did he save us? Well, Jesus is the one referred in the scriptures as the promised Messiah, the ultimate shepherd. You see a lot of pictures of shepherds in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. But here we find the ultimate shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. The one who has laid down his life for the sheep. The one who has bought us with his precious blood through the blood of the eternal covenant. He has brought us to be the sheep of his pastures. And that's why that's the reason why the Lord tells us, if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. And he leads us, he guides us, he brings us in the path of righteousness besides still waters for his namesake. And fourthly, fourthly, notice here that the Lord also teaches us how to worship him. Notice here that in, in verse 2, the Lord calls us and, and uh, he tells us, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name in, ver- in verse 4. Notice all the commands in verses 2 and 4. Serve, come, enter, be thankful and blessed. These this five verses have seven commands. You find seven commands in a short psalm, like Psalm 100. And the Lord says, He has purchased us with His blood, the blood that He shed on the cross to free us from the bondage of our sin. He also bought us with that blood to be His precious possession. You see, the Lord does not leave us in ignorance on what to do in worship, but he gives to us guidance. He gives to us direction. Notice all the commands in verses 2 and 4. Serve, come, enter, be thankful and bless. You see, there's no room for, for ignorance or human ingenuity here or creativity. If you notice here, all these are commands that give us guidance, that give us uh, a direction on how to engage our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our, our strength in the, in the worship of the Lord. This is what we as, uh, as Reform and Presbyterians, we call the regulative principle of worship. The Lord doesn't leave worship up to us to decide what to do in worship. But the Lord gives to us direction on how to present ourselves and how to worship Him. He's the one who tells sinners how to approach Him. And notice that he begins here by saying, serve him. It's one of the commands, serve the Lord with gladness. Again, the attitude is there, joyful, glad attitude in the presence of the Lord. Notice that this word, serve him, is useful for us to understand what we do in worship. In the Old Testament, those who served in the temple worship were the Levites, were the ones who spent their lives called by the Lord to uh, to uh, be engaged in the, in the worship of the Lord. They were serving the Lord day and night. And we as believers in, under the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we understand that worship 
continues to be service to God, and we are serving God in our worship. Some people don't like these terms that the, that the Bible uses, but we are slaves of Christ. We were slaves to sin, now we are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we serve him. He is our king, he is our master, and we serve him in our worship. And so if you're a Christian, the Lord expects for you to be actively engaged in worship. And so this requires for you to, uh, to prepare yourself, to look forward to worship, and to prepare yourself to the worship for the worship of God. Because this is something that is special. This is not something that is routine or mundane. See, the call to worship is a command. It's not a, a nice suggestion. It's not like an invitation that you get to a baby shower. That you may leave it or take it. It's up to you. No, the call to worship is a command that the Lord gives to us. And the Lord doesn't come to us saying, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I know that you are so busy. That you have so many things to do in your, in your schedule. I know that your calendar is marked with different events and different things that you have to do. But if you have time, it will be nice if you could come and worship me on, on, on Sunday. Perhaps it's not the Lord's day to you. But this will help us to understand that the, Lord's, the Lord has separated one day for his worship. And he commands for us to come to come to worship him with the godly. Because this is a preview as we come to serve him, to worship, to come and to enter, be thankful and to bless. This is a reminder of uh, the worship that will take place eternally. And so the person that does not take delight, interest, excitement in the worship of the Lord, here and now, it's a person that perhaps is not ready for heaven. It's not a person that is ready for the worship that will take for all eternity, that will take place for all eternity in heaven. But notice the progression here in the commands. We are instructed to enter into his presence, to cross his gates and to enter his courts. Everything is his, you, you notice here in the progression. Everything is his, but also the language that you see in the, in the commands reminds us of the temple, of the sanctuary, of the, of the place of God that belongs to him. We are going inside his temple. This is the kind of language that uh, reminds us that we are now in the, in the face of God or in the presence of God. It is only through Jesus Christ that we have this provision, that we have full access into this very presence. That's why when we are called to worship, we go in and through Christ who has earned for us access. He's the new and living way. Our attitude must be a demonstration of gladness and joy, not sadness. You hear the Psalms of the pilgrims and, and the Psalms of Ascent, uh, how they, they, even though they struggle, they go through different trials to make it to Jerusalem to worship. They're, they're glad that they will be there in the presence of the Lord with God's people. And so they go with gladness and joy and not with sadness, with singing and not with grumbling, with thanksgiving and not with ingratitude, with praise and not with blame, being thankful to the Lord with heart and tongue, 
blessing his name, knowing that he who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us freely all things? It is a great reminder of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for us once and for all. And finally, dear loved ones, the Lord also reminds us why, why we are to worship him. After all these verses, why do we need a reminder, right? But the Lord gives to us a reminder. He reminds us why we are here to worship him. Why we are to worship our God, our maker, the shepherd of the sheep. Notice in verse 5, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Notice in verse 3, the Lord addresses our minds. Remember the first word, know that the Lord is God. But here in verse uh, 5, the Lord is addressing our affections, our heart. So worship involves not only the mind, but also our hearts. That's why in in, uh, Ephesians and Colossians, the psalmist or or Paul says that we must... uh, Admonish one another, speaking uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in the heart. The heart is important to God. And so the Lord reminds us here that our affections uh, are important to him. Notice that the Lord is not just a God who is careless, uh, who is distant, like the God of the deist, who is far away, but he cares for us. That's what he has told us. Especially in verse 3, as he tells us that he, he is uh, our, the shepherd of his people. He is a loving God. He is a merciful one. The one who gives to us not what we deserve. But he has loved us in his mercy with a covenant love in Christ Jesus. And he is faithful. He is the covenant God who is faithful from, from generation to generation. That's what he is uh, represented here in his mercy is this hesed, the covenant love of God for his people. And so he commands the praise of his glory, not because he is a self-centered God, not because he is a tyrannical ru- ruler or a dictator, but because he wants to remind us of his great covenant love that is for you in Jesus Christ. So in closing, dear loved ones, uh, if we don't look forward to meeting with the Lord, to praise his glorious grace, you must ask yourself this question. Am Am I actually fit for eternity in the presence of God? Am I really ready for eternity with the Lord? in that place where worship will never cease. Because to dismiss the call to worship of the Lord as something optional or burdensome is to have little desire to be in the presence of the Lord. And no one can worship God in heaven if it doesn't start here on earth. That's why when the call to worship is offered every Lord's Day here, you should be here attending the worship of the Lord. 
And on the other hand, the Lord's Day and the public worship of God may not be the highlight of your week. Because you may be too busy. And the Lord's Day may not be the Lord's Day for you. It may be the same as any other day in the week. Because your week is filled with activities and with substitutes for, for worship. And notice here that the author of Hebrews tells us in regards to the Lord's Day, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Notice verse 25 here. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So you see, the Lord's Day is important. And looking forward to the Lord's Day is important. Preparing for it is key to enjoy, to delight in the Lord's Day, in the worship of the Lord. And also, this is an opportunity for you to uh, exercise the gift that the Lord has given to you and uh, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. He was friendly to sinners, to those despised even in, in, in society at the time. He was friendly to everybody, even to his enemies. How much more we who have the full knowledge of Christ in the Scriptures, that we know him, we know what he has done, that the Messiah has come already, and that we have the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit in us. We should be encouraged and motivated to invite other people to come to the public worship of God on the Lord's Day, to tell our neighbors. That's what we should do. That's not too hard to do, right? Knowing that if they don't come to worship the Lord, if they die in their sins, in ignorance, they will be experiencing not the joy and the gladness that you will experience with the Lord one day, but they will be in condemnation, in judgment, experiencing the wrath and curse of God forever in hell. So it is, it is a great opportunity to invite unbelievers and believers to come to worship the Lord. And the Lord tells us also, finally, that if you are his sheep, if he is your shepherd, what happened to the sheep when they hear the voice of the shepherd? They recognize it. They hear it. And they obey his command to worship him. May the Lord help us to be obedient children as we hear the voice of our shepherd. Let us pray. Dear, dear Lord, thank you, Father, for this time that you have given to us uh, to hear your word. We pray, Father, that you um, write this word in our hearts and that we may uh, not forget it, but you may use it, Lord, for our instruction, for our correction, for our training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work to your glory and to the good of the church. Amen.